Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of John, chapter 19. John, chapter 19. We've been making our way these days through the book of John. And uh, today we have come to the crucifixion story. John chapter 19, verse 1 says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Uh, this was the bottom line of Pilate's interrogation. And he says it three times. I find no fault in him. And Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priest and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. You'll have to excuse me if I say from time to time that one of my uh, almost more favored characters in the crucifixion story is Pilate. Because Pilate did everything he could, almost, everything he could, almost, to get Jesus free off of their false charges. He worked all the angles. He eventually ran out of angles. And, uh, and so he says once again, and, and as he says this, he's hoping that somebody out there is listening. I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Now that, according to the Jewish law, was uh, known as blasphemy. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, uh, where are you from? I find this interesting. They said, listen, he's claiming to be the son of God. So Pilate says, I better talk to him again. Now, I want to know where you're from. But Jesus gave him no answer. And we know the reason why. Because he was led as a sheep to the slaughter before his shearers as dumb to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Boy, that's all it took to get a pretty powerful response from Jesus. You can have no power at all against me unless it has been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. He could be referring here to Judas. He could be referring to Caiaphas, the high priest. From then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus. Pilate was very, very resourceful. He wanted Jesus set free. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Now remember, keep in mind, Caesar was Pilate's boss. And it was a very, very dangerous thing to cross Caesar any way you cut it. And so they pulled out their big card right here. Uh, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar, referring to Christ. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place which is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew Gabbatha. 
Now, it was the Praetorian, it was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Pilate was kind of showing off Jesus. You know, he had this crown of thorns on his head and he had this red robe. And they were mocking him as like a mock coronation. And he thought if he could show the Jews Jesus so, so demeaned and Jesus so destroyed from the flogging that they would change their mind and realize that he's really not a threat after all. He's just this broken man up here. How is he going to lead an insurrection? It's interesting in verse 15, he says, listen, we have no king but Caesar. Boy, they change sides fast. Then he delivered him to, to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. And bearing his cross, he went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, that's the language of the Jews. In Greek, that's the um, trade language like English is in the world today. Everybody around the world spoke that language. And in Latin, that was the official language of Rome. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate here kind of gets his last jab in at these people that want to take Jesus' life. And he said, what I've written, I've written. I think, and this is only my personal opinion, that Pilate was just this close to the kingdom of God. That Pilate knew that this man that he had interrogated, this man that was before him and wouldn't even give him an answer, was an extraordinary, innocent individual. Well, as you read through this story and you take all the, all the, the whole picture, I got up this morning and I read, I read the account of Matthew on the crucifixion. And, uh, and then I read the account of Mark, Matthew 27, Mark 23, uh, or excuse me, Mark 15 and then Luke 23. I put all those out this morning and I just wanted to absorb myself in this whole picture and get the whole picture. And that's, that's what we have to do in a, to get the story. You find that the trials of Jesus, as quickly as they, they took place, was certainly a miscarriage of justice at this time. Now, here's the reason I say that. Rome was noted throughout the world for its justice. On every Roman official's desk, there was a little figure of a two-faced god. And that two-faced god was known as Janus, J-A-N-U-S. One face looked forward, and the other face looked backward. It is from that word that we get the name January, for the month that looks back to the old year and forward to the new year. Janus was to remind the judge to look at both sides of the question. Rome ruled the world for a thousand years. When the Romans took over people, they promised them good roads, law and order, protection, peace, uh, but it would be a dictatorship. They ruled with a rod of iron, 
but their courts were noted for actually giving justice. The guilty got justice, not mercy, but justice. And the interesting thing that makes this so strange is that the trial of Jesus was one of the greatest miscarriages of justice. Pilate's weakness is seen throughout this story. You know, the Roman government did rule the world, but they didn't have a lot of troops to place in all these places. And so they picked a guy like Pilate, whose job was, it was to keep the peace. And if, uh, and if his boss, Caesar, found that he wasn't doing his job, he, uh, he was in great, great jeopardy. That was his job, keep the peace. And they were all afraid of Jesus. He was a powder keg. He was a rogue rabbi who could start an insurrection just like that. The Jews thought it would be great if we could get rid of him because, because uh, if, if he starts a riot, the Romans are coming down on us and they're going to make our life a whole lot more miserable than we are right now. And so they looked at Jesus as just a potential troublemaker. Well, uh, we will always remember his confession, Pilate's confession. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. I find no fault. Remember, he washed his hands. He said, I just want to go on record. Watch, everybody watch me. I'm innocent from the blood of this, of this righteous person. His wife told him, listen, I had a dream. Leave him alone. And so he tried and he tried. Uh, but uh, to no avail. He, his cowardice was seen in verse number eight. He was afraid of the people. He was a typical politician. Uh, he was afraid for his future. He was afraid uh, of uh, not doing a good job. And so he made this concession, and I find this interesting and, and kind of tragic. In the first verse here in our passage for this morning, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, I can't begin to take time to tell you and wouldn't want to tell you what this all entailed, but it was a horrific beating and many people did not even live through that. And so he scourged him. And uh, boy, I've got to get rid of this. <laughs> he scourged him. And uh, now if I yell, I put it down there. If I yell out, you know what happened. He's getting back at me. Uh, he scourged him. Uh, that was to beat a confession out of Jesus. Do you know that people who are, are beaten often confess to things that they didn't do just to stop the beating? And if the beating is so horrific and the pain is so intense, they'll confess to anything. They will create in their mind just something to confess to so the beating stops. And so Pilate could not figure out what the big issue was about Jesus necessarily and he thought maybe this beating, would, he could beat a confession out of Jesus. But Jesus had nothing to confess. Sometimes it was fat, uh, fatal. Well, he gave in to this public uh, pressure. And uh, he will forever go down as an accomplice to the crucifixion of Christ. But he did get this last jab in. He wrote this thing out that they hung around their neck on the way to the cross. It was like a board of some a placard uh, with a string around it. And uh, he said, I just want to go on record. Listen, you can have Jesus, but I want you to know that he is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. 
And so it was written in these three languages, and those were the languages of the world at that time. And so that was a picture of the global impact of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the word of God will be taken around the world in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Latin. That was the writing on the cross. And then there were the women at the cross. Look at verse 25. And there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. You know, the women stood with him to the end. you know that? One man did, John, but mostly women. And it was his mother. Uh, yeah, mothers will always be there, I'm convinced. Uh, the greatest gift to the world is motherhood. And Mary carried Jesus inside of her when no one could see who he was. And she was not about to let him down now. She was standing there at the cross. And there is... I think maybe a credible tradition that goes like this. That whenever the soldiers took Mary up to the three crosses, uh, that Mary said to the soldier, which one is Jesus? Because his appearance was so destroyed. Which one is Jesus? Isaiah 52, 14. Let's read this. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. His appearance. Jesus was so beat up that he could have very well be, been uh, unidentifiable, just another piece of a broken person hanging on a cross. The next thing we see are the words of Jesus. There were seven last sayings of Jesus, and I'm going to go right through these very quickly. The first one is Jesus speaks to the Father in Luke 23, 34. When they put that cross upright, the first thing he said in a prayer to his Father was this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. In the midst of this excruciating suffering, the heart of Jesus was focused on others. Forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus was praying for forgiveness of sinners. And almost just like that, he got an answer. Because you remember the story of the thieves on the cross? You have to look at all the pictures to get the whole story. In the beginning, the thieves on the cross were kind of united. You know, if he's the son of God, why don't you just come down off the cross? Save us too, by the way. But after a while, one of them began to look into their heart and realize, hey, listen, this, this person in this middle cross is something or someone incredible. And so he reached out to the Lord, and you know what he said. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said what? Today, you'll be with me where? paradise. People say, well, where did Jesus go when he died? He went to paradise. He said that. Uh, it was a wonderful thing for this thief on the cross to have this, what we call deathbed repentance. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you've never come to Christ, don't wait very long. Because oftentimes people don't get an opportunity at the end of the road. Sometimes the road comes at you too fast. And there's no chance. Well, 
the next thing Jesus does is he speaks to Mary and John. He takes care of his mother. He says, woman, and this is in John 19, verse 26 and 27, he says, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. He takes care of his mother. Uh, his mother took care of him when he couldn't care for himself. And so he wasn't leaving this world unless he gave her into the custody of John. And so he said, John, here's, here's your new mother. You take good care of her. Uh, it's a good thing to take care of your mother. You know that? It really is. Because when you think back and you remember, uh, all, or you think about all the times you can't remember because you were too young to remember, what your mom did for you was absolutely incredible. And so Jesus takes care of his mother here. And then he cries out to the Father. At noon, the sun refused to shine, and Jesus cried out to the Father. And you know what he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And something was happening here, very horrific, that we do not understand. There was this separation somehow that, uh, that God was laying on his, sin, on his son the sins of all the world, and there was this, for the first time ever, from everlasting to everlasting, that there would be this somehow separation because of sin. And this was what Jesus was agonizing so much about in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was sweating just, as it were, great drops of blood. This experience right here. Well, the next thing is Jesus is thirsty. And remember in the story that he refused early a, a concoction to dull the pain. He refused that. But now he said, I thirst. And then he said, number six, it is finished. And that's a wonderful thing because that was mission, mission accomplished. This is what Jesus came to do. Now, a lot of people were saying, uh, if, if you're the Christ, come down from the cross. And the very reason that we believe he is the Christ is because he didn't come down from the cross. He was fulfilling his mission. He could have, because remember when they came at his arrest, he said, listen, listen, uh, Peter, put your sword back in your sheath. I could call legions of angels, just like that. He still could have done that. But his goal was to give his life on the cross. And he said, it's finished. That's why you and I do not have to work for our salvation. That's why we don't have to be good enough to go to heaven. There is only one goodness that God accepts for your salvation, and that's the goodness of his Son imparted to you by your faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we do is we believe in Jesus Christ, and God looks down at us and says, listen, I declare you righteous, forgiven completely, of all your sins, past, present, and future. And we say, how could that be? Because we go home at night and look in the mirror. And we say, oh my. We feel like Isaiah, woe is me. Am I undone or not? But through Jesus Christ, God looks at you and me as completely forgiven of every sin. And that's why we love the song. Amazing what? Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Uh, we are sinners still saved by grace. Uh, in this world, we will always have this struggle between the old nature and the new nature. But when God peers down at us through Christ, 
he sees us as completely forgiven and fit for fellowship with him in heaven. And then his last words, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 46. Uh, no one took Jesus' life from him. He gave it. He offered it up at his time. I know that at this season there are people everywhere that are lamenting the fact of why did the world kill Christ? Well, you know, there's a point there, but the greater point is this. The world did not take Jesus' life away from him. He gave his life freely for you and me. There were plenty of reactions, though, at that time. Uh, they went out and they found that, uh, that they had to take the bodies down off the cross, and they, the method they did is they broke the legs of those criminals that were on the cross, and when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. They didn't have to break his legs, and the reason why is because there was this Old Testament prophecy that said his legs will not be broken. Uh, and then there was another prophecy uh, that says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. That's verse 37. Well, that's a prophecy of the future. One of these days when Jesus comes back again, the world is going to see him. Every eye will see him. If you want to turn with me quickly to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. When Jesus comes back again, those who crucified him will see him in some way, and they will mourn. Uh, they made a mistake, a big mistake, a drastic mistake. But uh, Jesus was crucified on the cross for you and me. And he did this for us. And this is why we need to be eternally grateful to him. You know, there are some debts you can pay back. This one you can't. This one you can't. Because God reached down and he gave you so much that we couldn't even begin to think about paying it back. And so that's why we serve him with the rest of our life. I, a gentleman came into our service last night and Saturday and he said, you know, I just recently signed on to the Lord and he says, I hope I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve the Lord all the way to the end. And I said, well, that's the only way you can serve the Lord all the way to the end. Because, yeah, we're trying to pay the debt back. We know we can't, but we want to. We want to try. And uh, that's why we love him so, because he did so much for us on the cross. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And with our heads bowed, I'd like to ask those men who are preparing communion to uh, prepare to give communion at this time. I'd like to ask you to look into your heart today. Is there anything in your life this morning that separates you from fellowship with God? Have you ever accepted Christ as your Savior? Have you ever seen what he really did for you on the cross and thanked, it, thanked him for it by giving, you, giving him your life? Whatever, there, whatever barrier there is right now in your heart, if there's something you can fix right now before we uh, take communion, would you do that? Just call out to the Lord. Say, Lord, I have this thing. I know you're speaking to me about it. and I, I want to fix it right now so that when that little cup comes by and that little piece of bread comes by, that uh, I'll be ready for that.
And maybe there's something you can't fix right now, but you can purpose to fix it. Maybe it's going to take a while for you to put this in order. I think today you could say, Lord, I'm going to start out on that journey today. And eventually get all the loose ends tied up. Dear Lord, as we prepare to take this first element, which is the bread, this little piece of cracker which symbolizes your broken body, we pray that you will, uh, Lord, help us to be ever so more appreciative of the brokenness that you experience for us. In Jesus' name, amen.